Nicole Pizza. My name is Rusty. I'm a pastor here at Christ the Lord Church in Dayton, Ohio. This is our podcast where we take the opportunity to squeeze out every last bit we can from the proclamation of God's Word on Sunday. It's our chance to sit down with a preacher and tackle any further questions, applications, or other bits of leftover crust to chew on that didn't make it into the main meal. So grab a dragon bone rib. Dragon rib. <laughs> and join us this week with Pastor Jeff. Hey guys, how you doing? I like the effort for the connection there. Yeah. Appreciate it. I like some ribs. Let me take some dragon ribs. These I little... had good ribs last night at the Robin's house. Oh, yeah? Yeah. My boys devoured them. We're waiting on the recipe. And I'm going to take full credit for the recipe. I'm pretty sure it's just ribs and fire. True. <laughs> <laughs> and good sauce. Good sauce. Yeah, that's awesome. This week was uh, Jesus and the Dragon. So mm-hmm. from Matthew 3, or 2, rather, uh, verse 13 through 23. And uh, you had a, a manifold of points, but kind of the culmination component was the story of the Bible is Jesus and the dragon. Yeah. And then a little bit more specifically, praise God and plunder the dragon's goods. Yeah. If I could kind of summarize. So, yeah, I think it is fantastic passage, um, fantastic work with this kind of passage. It's hard in some narratives to draw. Uh, it can feel like an overreach often to pull out. Uh, a bunch of you know action steps yeah and some of these narratives and so i think the uh, the framing aspect particularly at the front end of of matthew and, and pastor matt was having to do this as well uh is really helpful in getting us to that point yeah there's a lot of similarities i was surprised between <clears throat> i mentioned this yesterday matthew and the author of hebrews in that they're both really masterful in their weaving the old testament into the new testament Mm-hmm. and um just their knowledge of it and like i said yesterday they matthew even gets like the feel um and you see that in some of his um analogies that he pulls forth that if you were a if you were a, a jewish person reading this um about the messiah you would you would get these analogies a lot quicker than we do in our context here yeah but nonetheless just a just really helpful to to see the the parallels, and so I'd encourage people as we go through, you know, even if you just have a simple um, reference Bible, to look up some of those Old Testament passages and to see how he's weaving this through. And mm-hmm. it's it's a little dense in the beginning, as, as we've seen. Uh, it can be. Yeah, well, I he's think setting it's going to be really interesting when we get to stuff like the Beatitudes. And, yeah, and to see how that setup wasn't for nothing, and actually, hopefully, be faithful and bring that through because. Yeah. A study like this, particularly even in the gospel, is interesting to me to hear it preached. Mm-hmm. I think we are pretty familiar <laughs> with our Bibles in general. We're pretty familiar with the gospels and from study, right? Yeah. Uh, but then to hear it preached into the life of the church, it just takes on such a special thing. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. And the danger, I think, with these kinds of, we've talked before, with these kinds of passages is you can get way down in the weeds mm-hmm. you know on all the parallels and the prophecies um so the trick there is trying to um skip across the water uh-huh. you know at just the right pace with those things while trying to get the main point of the author's text yeah you know so hopefully that was we can tackle yesterday. some of those things in cold pizza too so. exactly yeah which is 
very helpful yeah. <laughs> at times. <laughs> That's for cold pizza. Table I can't explain it to you right now. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure I quite understand it right now. Well, there's uh, a question I had that as I was reflecting on both Pastor Matt's, but then also the beginning of your sermon on this idea of being throne builders, because we're still dealing with the uh, protection and self-preservation, I guess, aspect of Herod. Yeah. Through here of this, how do you protect your throne? And that uh, is, a, is a question that both of you guys have thrown at us. And there's an aspect of it that I wanted to hear your thoughts on, of that for, I think, particularly men, if I'm, I'm thinking about us, there's this subtle difficulty uh, for men who are by nature builders, mm-hmm. right? We're supposed to be constructing things and things often that we can point to and say, see, look, I'm being faithful. See, look what I have produced. See, look, that type of language, right? Yeah. And th- there's this aspect where we could accidentally, I think, this difficulty of building our own thrones yeah. by this feeling, though, of being faithful, of bringing dominion, being a builder. And because for the most part, you're not going to see outright rebellion from men right it's not yeah. going to be kill the babies or in herod's case i mean he, he killed three of his own sons as part of yeah. preserving his heritage yeah um and, and one thing i wanted to uh, i'll say that for so, yeah on that what are your thoughts on on navigating that question of how are you building your own throne when it comes to men who can accidentally be doing so yeah I, that's a good question because we've been encouraging our men to to build 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 and i would say <clears throat> if we're going to build faithfully with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, there's seasons of fighting and then, and then there's seasons of building. And if you haven't built strong fortifications, as it were, in the times of peace where you're not having to fight as hard, um, then when the fight does come around, you're going to find yourself defenseless and, mm-hmm. and with your back against the wall on your heels. So yeah, we've we've encouraged our men to build. It's a good question. I think that I think it comes down to a matter of motives, um, and then some of the fruit that you see coming from what they're building. Mm-hmm. So if we're if we're walking in accordance with biblical building, we're going to be as men building ourselves um, in all areas, both spiritually, um, physically. Right, mentally, uh, to be sharp, to be strong. Biblical masculinity is the is the self mastery, so that I can give of myself to others, um, and that's the key. If I'm just building the throne of my own physique, or if I'm building the throne of my own intellect, or if I'm building the throne of of just my um, spiritual um, maturity, and I'm not then using that. Uh, to lead others, mm-hmm. then I'm building a throne for myself. Mm. So that has to that has to progress into leading my family now, leading myself. Now I lead my my wife, I lead my children, and it can't then just stop with the family because many people will build the family, build the family, build the family, but they build these little islands mm-hmm. uh, apart from everybody else, and they're kind of these separatist mm-hmm. mindsets. So just me and my family, which there's a place to make sure that your family's protected and that you're a strong family unit, but the strong family unit is then supposed to strengthen the church because mm-hmm. the church is the thing that takes the mission of Jesus around the world. And, and you just can, can go up from there. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to look at motives and then I think you can, you can observe the fruit mm-hmm. in the, in the meantime while you're building. Yeah, um, that's helpful. 
I, I think that I think one thing that um, is key for men who are building their own thrones is they often build those thrones in isolation, and that doesn't look like always look like you know not showing up uh, to church or being a part you know, separate from Christian fellowship. That can that can look like not taking advice or asking advice, not putting yourself in a in a, a son's position mm-hmm. to learn. Yeah. That can look like that. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was watching uh, a YouTube guy that the two of us like that I will re- remain unnamed <laughs> for various reasons. <laughs> I'm happy to tell you his name. I just don't want to d- defend the other parts of exactly it on this podcast. Uh, but he was basically talking about getting his truck ready for winter and mm-hmm. – I was talking about these tools and he'll tell you how much they cost and he does reviews and stuff on them and whatnot. But it, there's this idea he's talking about of like, you, this is, yeah, this is a lot of gear to be able to pull people out of snow drifts. And so he's up in the uh, upper Northwest. And so he's talking about that. And, is, you know, you've got this garage and this garage is now full of gear and full of tools. And, yeah. all, and you can kind of look at that and particularly for men, like, you know, it, I'm spending a lot of the budget on tools and stuff like this. Yeah. And he's, he's, it can feel like you're building your own kingdom, and, and certainly it can head that way with you know depending on what our hobbies are. But, but along the lines of what he was after, he's like, yeah, it's expensive to help people. Yeah, it costs something to help people. It costs your tools, it costs your equipment, it costs your maintenance, it costs your time, it costs your skill building. Yeah, like all these things. This part of using yourself for the good of others. Yeah, that's good. I think it's good to um, build your own kingdom is not uh, a bad phrase. It makes me think of um, Alfred the Great, um, who in in British monarchy was the only one referred to as the Great. Mm -hmm. And if you do a little study on him, uh, and a lot more has kind of come out recently, made popular by some TV shows, but kind of twisted his character a little bit. Good man, godly man. desired to see all of England united, had to fight the Danes off, protect his people, a devout man, uh, a devout Christian man. But one thing that he did was he developed what's called Christian boroughs. And he he would have fortified cities. They were basically their own little kingdoms, but underneath the rulership uh, mm-hmm. of him and the throne. Um, and this is how he saw to build a strong England. As we have these small the boroughs that are fortified, able to take care of themselves. They have a certain amount of um, governance amongst themselves. They have their own church. Uh, they have their own little armies, but they all answer to the king ultimately. Um, but they're not subject to plundering because what the Danes would do is they would come in and attack these little helpless villages. And then the king had to kind of come out of, you know, Wessex and go yeah. and fight and, you know, uh, beat them back. So he's trying to fortify these smaller kingdoms if you will these boroughs and i think that that's a a good thing for us to strive for our homes are christian boroughs our churches are christian boroughs our our communities can be a christian borough as we as we build the kingdom of god but all of it has to be under the banner of of the one true king so if it's if it's in the service of yourself and your own glory uh it's going to fail in the end yeah that's helpful uh some study i was doing uh the past couple weeks i was talking about herod and uh, one of the commentaries says that Herod's concern is understandable. We need to remember that Herod is an Edomite. Mm-hmm. He's from the line of Esau. Yeah. 
uh, and uh, a Roman appointee. So he was only there because the Romans instituted him in his rule. Yeah. So he was vulnerable to the claims of the king of the true Davidic dynasty. Yeah. And they cross-referenced Malachi 1.4, <laughs> which is awesome. It says, if Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, hmm. and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and <laughs> that's all they cross-referenced. And then the next verse, though, it says, your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. You're gonna you're gonna see how um, next week's sermon, as as uh, this crazy prophet comes on the scene, how there's this case being built against apostate Israel. Mm. Uh, in the in the uh, and in the wings is waiting the uh, the new Israel, right? To be. To, Dude, I'm telling Put you, it's the scene. same thing that I think the church in America is in right now. That's, that's mm-hmm. why I've been on this rant on the King's Table, which will be coming back soon, by the way, <laughs> uh, about how our main fight is against false teaching. Yep. That's the New Testament. Yep, exactly. Uh, so one of the other directions that we wanted to head in the review is you, you had uh, – we'll, we'll finish by going through some of the things that you had to close with a little quickly. Um, but – there was a component in there of talking about the fulfilling of these prophecies. Mm-hmm. And two of them were named, uh, and then one one was kind of, it was unnamed. It was more of a collection yeah. of, of prophecies. Did you want to speak some more to that Nazarene aspect? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned yesterday, there's these kind of three segments of the story, flight to Egypt, uh, re- um, Herod kills the children, and then they return and go to Nazareth. Um, and the first two kind of scenes of the story, if you will, he ends by saying, so it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet. First one was Hosea. Second one was Jeremiah. And then he ends his kind of third scene by at the return. When they go to Nazareth, they're directed by an angel to go to Nazareth. And also Joseph has a fear that the descendants of this evil, evil king are going to carry out his wishes and try to kill Jesus. And so they go to Nazareth. And Matthew says, so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, plural, um, he would be called a Nazarene. And you see people calling him throughout his ministry, and we'll see this as we go through Matthew, um, that he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's not Jesus of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And, and it's an interesting piece there because there, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say he will be called a Nazarene. Yeah. There's no direct prophecy to that. It says, out of Egypt I shall call my son. We see direct correlation there. It's fulfilled and Jesus going there and coming back. Um, we see this, this language of exile and lament of the people's sin. There's direct prophecy tied there. But he's saying prophets. And what he's doing, and this is, this is where you can get really nerdy and dive deep, but really what it is is just Matthew is a master of the Old Testament, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's writing these things down and this, this idea that he gets the feel of the Old Testament. And what he's saying, uh, in essence here, is um, there's these specific things that point to Jesus, but the whole tapestry is this giant picture mm-hmm. of the conquering king who is to come. And and so the the in uh, in um, number six and sixteen, it talks about uh, the Nazarite vows uh, who were holy warriors. So he's pulling from that. 
of which John the Baptist is a Nazarite. Exactly. And so there's these there's these correlations there that Jesus is this holy warrior who executes the will of his father. But there's no prophecy that says that Jesus would be a Nazarite. Exactly. Exactly. So there so he's saying I'm I'm going to pull that he's going to go to Nazareth that connects him to this. Um it's and and um Nazarite, Nazarene has very it's very very similar in how it sounds. Um in the original language to this idea of righteous branch. Mm -hmm. So he pulls that idea as well. Jesus is the righteous branch who shoots from the dead stump of Jesse. He's going to become this world encompassing tree. Mm -hmm. And, and the point that he's making and as he's pulling these kind of ideas and these feelings, if you will, um, out of the old, these, these um, aromas out of the old Testament and, and putting them together here is that these two glorious things are going to be, culminated in this little tiny hick town called Nazareth, which is incredibly insignificant. And his point in all of this is that the righteous branch and the holy warrior is humble. And without his great humility, we're completely undone and screwed. Mm -hmm. Unless he comes back from Egypt, unless he goes to this desolate place, it's, it's a picture of just how far Jesus has to go in order to save us from our sins. And uh, and again, when we read the Old Testament, um, you, would, you would be mistaken to read every single verse and then be like, okay, now how does this speak to Jesus? Yeah. Right? And there are people who try to do that, and that's a, a, a wrong way to read the Old Testament and to preach the Old Testament or to refer to the Old Testament when you're in the New because not every single verse is about Jesus. Right? It has application and significance for other things. But again, as you read through the Old Testament, you can see that that flavor, sure. that greater, greater picture, that greater tapestry. And that's why I stepped back and said, let's let's look at the greater picture now. And, and hopefully those two things kind of went together as we were up close looking at the details and then step back. And it's this picture of Jesus trampling the dragon and in particular a dragon who wants to devour the seed of the woman. Yeah. And so when you read the Old Testament and when you when you <clears throat> listen to the sermons going through Matthew, you need to kind of um, have that in mind. There's this flavor. Not every single verse is about Jesus, but there is a flavor and there is a, an aroma throughout that is, that is crafting its way towards the, uh, the Messiah coming and his yeah. kingdom being, uh, being proclaimed. It's been fun because I'm in teaching biblical theology in oh, yeah. our class. And so we're talking about things like covenant and uh, the different epics in the Bible. And then particularly this past week, we're talking about multiple horizons of fulfillment. Mm. And so yeah. <laughs> you see these unfolding flavors, these typologies unfolding. Yeah. And uh, the culmination here from darkness to light. Yeah. I mean, you could spend a lifetime going through all the all these different similarities and typologies and types and signs mm-hmm. throughout the scripture where they where they connect and which in uh i'm teaching a class on evangelism right now and uh just having a good understanding of how the canon of scripture came together and being able to refute the idea of non-believers that well the bible is a man-made <laughs> book and yeah. just just all of the ways that the scripture comes together and the fact that it's been written over such a long time with multiple human authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, one author, um, is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's like unlike any other document. And in fact, um, ancient New Testament writings are some of the most reliable we have. 
yep. right? You know, so it, it, yep. it causes us to, to wonder at God's greatness as well as you see all these things being pulled through. And, and Matthew, uh, you know, we know some about him. He seemed to be one of the smarter guys <laughs> that Jesus chose. Well, if I've learned anything from the chosen, he's mildly autistic. Oh, uh, yeah, apparently so. So, so. Jesus can use anybody. Um, <laughs> he seems to be a little bit smarter than the rest of the guys. You know, maybe not. You got Nathaniel. He's pretty smart. But right? let's, let's, it's not a high bar. No, but it's not a high bar. <laughs> Peter's there. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say. But you look at the other guys and you're like, oh, wow. Right? Um, you got to remember like these guys were were questionable characters yeah. you know and and if anything i wonder um you know as i brought out yesterday you see these reminders you know israel has become egypt in their sin they've departed from their god um it's almost like treachery you know mm-hmm. against their own nation and you see herod you see the leaders of the of the synagogues and the teachers who have kind of sold their soul to to Rome and they're willing to kind of bow to their lordship in order to kind of keep their own little systems going. And I wonder if Matthew in some ways feels that. Um, that was one of the other directions that uh, you could have taken this passage. Is yeah. There's there's a typology aspect of Jesus as Moses here mm-hmm. uh, in going to Egypt and being the the one Israelite to go there for safety yep. up the river <laughs> Yep. <laughs> because yeah. some people are trying to kill him. Yeah, there's so many parallels here. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I wonder if Matthew has this sense, though, of, uh, you know, I, I have been a traitor to my people, to my as God, a as a tax collector, an evil man, and now the Messiah comes and, and asks me to follow him. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he did study. I think he was uh, had a natural gifting and was a good student of the Old Testament. But then you also see the Holy Spirit's working mm-hmm. in the same way you see the Holy Spirit taking Peter and making him this amazing preacher. Yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit's taking... Uh, this man who once served, you know, his own interests. Herod. And Herod, exactly. And now he's serving the true king. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, we could dig it on stuff. Um, well, let's let's wrap up with this last piece. You, uh, unfortunately, had to fly a little bit through your ending <laughs> for various things. Um, so I wanted to give you a little bit more time. I just to, got excited. That's all. I talk fast when I get sweating. I was sweating. It was really hot in the auditorium <laughs> on Sunday, by the way, because we live in Ohio. And last week it was like four degrees, and this past week it was like fifty degrees. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been warm. Um, so the last section really kind of comes under this: praise God and plunder the dragon's goods. And so you had three components there: of living freely in Christ's forgiveness living fully in Christ's righteousness and living fearless in Christ's victory. Yeah. Th- this is what the Christian is called to. Um, this is Romans. How is, how is this plundering? I was going to say Romans 12, 1 and 2, says that uh, Paul says he appeals to us by the mercies of God. That's his appeal. Um, look at the mercies of God, and by so doing, this is your reasonable worship. What else could you do? But... Give glory to God by a life that is fully sacrificed in living freely in the forgiveness of Christ. You've been forgiven completely. Your, your treacherous, rebellious uh, sins have been forgiven. You are Herod who protects your throne. You are Israel who has forgotten your God. You are Matthew who worked for Herod. Right? You, you were all these things. And as a result of that, exiled from God, not deserving of his mercy, 
and yet in the midst of all this hardship and and as a result of your sin horrible things happen like babies get killed mm-hmm. right and you know it's a uh, it's a uh, sanctity of human life month and we're you know we see all these parallels in our culture today and we see this wickedness running rampant and it's a result of our own sin right our country has come into one of the apex of wickedness in nations that you see throughout history when they're willing to sacrifice to demon gods the most innocent among us like that's that's the pinnacle of wickedness in a nation and if you look at the scripture it's a little scary to see the patience of god giving them time giving them time and then there's this it almost seems not every time it almost seems that that the final straw is the sacrifice of innocent children and then god sends a nation to do his work Mm -hmm. to to clean house yeah so be warned america Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to live in the forgiveness of Christ that there is no sin um, that he is unable to forgive uh, if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins he went low real low lower than any other took upon him the sins of the whole world so that we could walk in in, in newness of life and I think that we were I, I see so many I see. I don't know if you know what your experience is with this, but I've been a pastor for a while now, and I see so many people confessing the same sins, not because they're confessing them in an effort to like kill their sin and put it to death in sanctification, but they're still asking for forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? As in an atonement, forgiveness type thing. Yeah, I've been trying to clarify that in our call to confession for the yeah. last couple of months. Yeah, it's it, w- yeah. We're not we're not calling you to get saved again. We're not calling you to become a believer or be born again again. In fact, the reason you can get forgiveness is because right. it already is. Exactly. Yeah. So I see a lot of people underneath that condemnation, and I think that and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. But I think it there's several reasons for that, and one I think is just just not fully trusting the truth of God's word that He says. Uh, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. There is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? And truly believing that and then just walking in that freedom. Right? Yeah. Even even if you don't feel like it. Then th- th- trusting. If I, I confess my sin before the Lord, I'm going to continue to walk in repentance. I'm going to get help from my elders and my, my fellow churchmen to get um, this sin under control. And I'm going to go take communion. Because I'm going to trust that what the work the work that Jesus did on my behalf is is enough. Yeah. I'm forgiven. Uh, the answer to that one for me is the is Keller's little booklet this is a sermon, uh, freedom of self forgetfulness. Mm. That's that. You're still in the courtroom arguing your yeah. case when Jesus is on the steps outside saying, "Yeah, thought they had us in the first half, but it was a great case, and right. now we're going on." Yeah, you know that right. type of thing. And he's like, "Let's go, <clears throat> let's go." Yep. Yeah. And so when you finally realize that you're forgiven. Um, now there might be something that you really need to confess fully. So that's, that's more my fear. And I, if I'm looking to the evangelical church at large and certainly the culture, I think that because they have been so, um, antinomian, they've been, they've pushed the law so far away Mm -hmm. that yes, the law can't save Romans five. I get that. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the law shows us our actual need. Right. And so I feel like that there's a lot of people who know they have a need because of Romans one. Mm-hmm. end of one beginning of two but they don't know how to name it because they've jettisoned romans five 
Yeah, that's if good. you don't actually hold the law, if you don't name your sin for what it is, if you're too afraid to name your own or someone else's, yeah, which is where we're at in the culture, we're afraid to call abortion murder. Right, right. Uh, so we sanitize it into something. Call else. healthcare. Yeah, exactly. And then we forget that we're actually murdering somebody for our own self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Well, then it's just, there's no freedom to be found because you don't know that you need it. No, exactly. And so I think naming it in yourself and in others and then in the culture yeah. lets you actually get to this point that you're talking well, about. Well, that's what we're gonna, is exactly what we're going to see in um, next week's sermon. This is what John the Baptist comes to say. He yeah. comes to clearly and harshly tell them this is this is your sin and bef- so what is he any what is john the baptist he is the precursor to jesus he is mm-hmm. the the messenger paving the way because without the under yeah the forerunner without understanding the great need who mm-hmm. cares about any hope yeah right who yep. cares about the the messiah yeah and so yeah you, that's i agree with you <laughs> you're wholeheartedly not, you're not in a life raft you're on a cruise yeah exactly oh, you're about to drown <laughs> right no yeah it's 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 very bad um I'm gonna give away all of next week's sermon, but it's a there is there is deadfall, forest deadfall everywhere, and Jesus yep. is the spark, oh. and it's about to go up, mm-hmm. right? It, and so repent, mm-hmm. right? The, the kingdom is is coming, and so that's we have to preach that. We talked about that in evangelism class, like a faithful message of the gospel starts with God, and then your sin, you fell from glory, mm-hmm. and you, if you can't accept Adam as your federal head. Yeah. Then you can't accept Christ as your federal head. Amen. Yeah. It, 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 it's incompatible. Like they go together, mm-hmm. they go together. And so we have, we have cast off telling people just how evil they are. Right. Like you are thinking about your, I told somebody yesterday, think about your worst sin that you like, don't want anybody to know about. Yeah. And you, you have battled with feeling really guilty and has Jesus really forgiven that. You are far worse mm-hmm. in the eyes of God than how you feel about that sin mm-hmm. or whatever you did. Like You're far, far worse mm-hmm. in the eyes of a holy God. And you, we got to tell people this. Yeah. At, at, least, at least Jesus, you know, false gods trick us. You see the, you see the serpent doing this. He tricks mm-hmm. Eve with something that seems easy and beautiful and that he's going to take care of her. God's holding out on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the one who actually cares for you, right? Um, things like our public schools are doing this. We're the ones who actually care for you. Your parents can't be trusted, right? Because yeah. we're going to let you be who you really are because yeah. you feel like this inside. And so, therefore, <laughs> if you feel like it, right? Also, don't tell your parents. Don't tell your parents. Exactly. <laughs> so, you see the, the forked tongues that um, yeah, the, the children of the devil speak with because mm-hmm. they're just like him. Um, and, and the whole time, Jesus comes and he just, because he loves us, um, and he loves his his glory and his holiness. He just speaks the truth. Mm-hmm. Always speaks it. You're going to see that through Matthew. He just cuts right down the middle with the truth. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't play around. It's just here. It is. I, I'll just tell you. Mm-hmm. You brood of vipers. Right? Yeah. Uh, is what is what um, John the Baptist calls them. Mm-hmm. So he starts off. Hey, this is going to be the tone of the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is going to speak very plainly to you about what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And he's also going to look at people and target their specific problems. Rich young ruler. Go yeah. sell all your goods. Um, go let the dead bury the dead, dude. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like a very nice thing to say to a guy who just lost his father. <laughs> yeah. But Jesus understood that he's making an excuse. So he's always going after the heart. So gentle, so lowly. <laughs> this is why the Pharisees are so pissed. Uh-huh. I mean, even even in his interactions with, you know, we, we can we don't have any real 
evidence that he changed his tone or his mannerisms at, for the woman at the well. Everybody's always like, well, he must have spoken very gently to the woman at the well. We don't, you don't know that. Musty. Right. You, you don't know that he did that. And you can maybe assume that he did. Um, but regardless, as we go through Matthew, you're going to see Jesus speaking very um, harshly, maybe, maybe animatedly, like in his uh, seven woes to the Pharisees, or maybe he's a little more, he's sitting maybe at the well, talking to the, the woman at the well. But regardless, he speaks hot, blistering truth. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Oh, your husband, huh? <laughs> How many husbands have you had? Right? There's so, another word for that. <laughs> right. He, goes, he just goes after the jugular every single time. And so God's people should learn to do the same, right? Uh, towards their own sin, towards the sins of their, their brothers and sisters. Because they love truth. Because they love truth, yeah. Because they love truth, yeah. It Was this... Um, there's an there's a idea from uh, Lord of the Rings uh, with uh, the Rohirrim, right? The writers of the Mark that uh, they loved truth so much that it was uh, very hard for them to be deceived, which why they, is why they were so distraught that Theoden had fallen underneath the, the, the lies of Krimwurngtung because mm-hmm. they were people who loved truth. And, and one of the ways they were able to combat lies is because they had this just love and passion for the truth, and they always spoke the truth. Mm-hmm. So the more they spoke the truth the more they were able to determine whether something was a lie or not. So that's the zeal that David's using at the end of Psalm 139. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Just so trying to give people freedom to say those words. Yeah, we've got to be a people <laughs> who who realize um, how bad it actually is. And when you grasp that, then you're able to see that the only help that you have mm-hmm. is Christ. Amen. That's the if you don't if you struggle with being forgiven it's because you don't understand how bad you really are mm-hmm. does that make sense it does and i might save the, because you still think you can help yourself somehow. i might save the outworkings of this for next week but that's part of, for me like actually a difficulty in that uh, i know how bad my past was in particular mm-hmm. that then as i and i know how much i've been forgiven of there mm-hmm. that for one praise god it's not hard for me to feel now forgiven sure right and so i can walk very freely because of that yeah. But there is an aspect too there it's a little hard for me to find all or name all my sins beyond mm-hmm. some obvious ones that because I because the, I know how deep the chasm was. Sure. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. That's another discussion, but yeah, like I for me it's easy. I, I look back and I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah that was sold." <laughs> well, so here's a truth that can help you in this. I and if you were in my evangelism class Sunday, you guys already know this. When we preach uh the gospel to people, when we when we are faithful in evangelism and the message we want people who hear that message uh, and this is true of of believers now as they as they um how they interact with their sin because this is how we should interact with people about their sin in the first place in evangelism you need to see you you will begin to see people confessing sins mm-hmm oh, I, I cheated on my wife, or I, I stole something once, or I was in jail once. The big, the big things, right? They'll mm-hmm. confess. Usually people, when they start to feel convicted and realize there's a problem between them and God, they're like, yeah, I, I've done some bad things. <laughs> and they'll name sins, yeah, specific sins. But unless they go to a, a, a deeper level and understand sinfulness, mm-hmm. it's not just sins I'm guilty of, but I am, it's sinfulness, mm-hmm. depravity, that I'm guilty of, then 
then we're going to have to do some more work. They yeah. need to get to that point. And it's more that's of a state of being sinner. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so oftentimes we're plagued by sins of our past. How could Jesus forgive? I would encourage people to to think more if again if you've confessed that sin and if you're walking in repentance of it, praise God. Maybe you feel guilty because you need to confess it and repent of it. But if you have, praise God. And what you need to do in order to not be plagued by these things and realize there's no condemnation is to not think about the sins and make sure that those sins have been dealt with, but think about the sinfulness mm-hmm. in which you were born into because that will bring you to a place of understanding there's no way I can help myself. That's where you get to substitute. There's no way I can help yeah. myself. It, it's only Christ. It's Christ or nothing. Mm-hmm. I ain't getting into his presence without Christ. Yeah. Because for me now, it's not naming usually specific sins. It, it is into that aspect of sinner. And so the realizations for me of repentance are, I keep realizing I'm not God. Yeah. In some fa- form or fashion, whether it's through just worship or whether through it, it, or through sin. Yeah. I can't help myself. I'm, I'm not God. Yeah. So I turn to God. Yeah. Exactly. And then and then the the next step then is as you realize that there was no way I can help myself whatsoever. Um, his grace sustains me. There's future grace for me tomorrow and the next day. And eternity, by the way. Wow. Right? Uh, is his grace. It's all his <laughs> it's all his story. Um then I am able to realize the idea that I am a saint. Mm-hmm. And I can live fully in the righteousness of Christ and the resurrected ascended Christ. I can walk in newness of life and not just not be plagued by, am I forgiven, but to know I'm forgiven and walk in direct, the direct opposite way. Yeah. That's your plunder. Yeah. This is how we plunder you, but you can't plunder. And if you really think that the dragon still has a hold on you or that you're a God, you're just not as good of being God as God. So you sin a little, (laughs) right? And so you name a few sins that you did, and then you go back to being God, which I think is where most people are. Right. Now, you were a child of the dragon, mm-hmm. and Jesus came and, and brought you back. Mm-hmm. And so how you plunder is by living a life of sacrifice. I have been forgiven, and now I can walk in righteousness. I, it's not that uh, – so this, this means you know, if, you're, if you feel guilty over uh, addiction to pornography in your past, and ha- have I actually like really gotten – rid of all that and you know those you those flashbacks in your mind and so on um you can know that if you've confessed that sin he is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and now you have the ability to walk in righteousness fully and that doesn't just mean saying no to porn that means now going and if you're a man and loving a wife mm-hmm. as the scripture says you should and raising children and doing what you can to destroy that evil and that honoring step women. is not in any of the books it's not in the books no <laughs> it's a it's the uh it's the powerful working of the holy spirit mm. in us yeah. right that, that changes us that takes um guys who are on the road to kill the church puts them on their butt and then makes them one of the greatest weapons for the church mm-hmm. to yeah. plunder to plunder the goods right mm-hmm. um and so living in christ's righteousness and then my last one was, you can live fearless in Christ's victory. That the battle is won. It's just skirmishes. Yeah. Right? The, the lance has been driven through the, the, the head of the dragon. Mm-hmm. But he's still, he's still writhing and able to talk. Mm-hmm. Right? So get your hands up. Yeah. Get your hands up. Kick them. Put, put swords in your hands and, and go after him. That, there's lots of things, uh, you know, dragons, 
if you remember uh, The Hobbit, right? Smaug has a hoard of treasure. Mm-hmm. And they're going to reclaim that. Yep. And that's what we're doing. Yep. Right? That's what we're doing. We're reclaiming the treasure. Mm-hmm. And people are treasure. You know? So your children are a treasure. Your wife's a treasure. Your husband's a treasure. Your church well, family's a treasure. If I could have you, just go ahead and read this to close this out here. Uh, yeah, the greatest treasure is to reclaim his people. This is the mission that King Jesus has tasked us with. To make disciples of all nations, plunder the dragon's goods by godly marriages, godly parenting, plunder the dragon's goods by biblical voting this election season, plunder the dragon's goods by faithfulness to your covenant community and hospitality, serving one another and the breaking of bread together, singing together, praying together, rebuking one another and forgiving one another. Plunder the dragon's goods until all the treasure that is grasped in the claws of the dragon belong to King Jesus. Plunder the dragon's goods until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. 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 Take us out. So, in light of that, we want you to go know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all and plunder the dragon's goods. Amen. <laughs>